Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week for Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, for Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early, and for Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Gentlemen, good to see you as hey, always. Good to see you, Chris. We have got dividends on the rise and one coffee stock on the decline. We've got one hot internet IPO and one retailer leaving investors cold. And as always, we've got a few stocks on our radar. But we begin with the biggest public company of all, and of course, that is Apple. Guys, shares crossed the $700 mark this week, but by Friday, the big story was what CNBC was calling the Maps fiasco. The operating Maplegate. Sy- Maplegate. <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, trademark that immediately. Uh, the operating system in the iPhone 5 has a new built-in map system from Apple that replaces Google Maps. And Joe, if the reports and what we're seeing on Twitter and on Facebook is to be believed, people are just not happy. So my question is, how bad is this for Apple? Well, it's bad in the sense that it's going to shatter this image of Apple being the true, absolute champion of user experience. Clearly, from all the reports we've heard, Google Maps is a superior offering. So it's frustrating if you're a user. Like, I personally not upgraded on iOS or upgraded to iOS 6 because I don't want to give up Google Maps. I'm pretty reliant on that. I do think that's going to hurt the image in a, in a long term sense, but they're still going to sell. Uh, several dozen million of these phones. <laughs> At least in the a next few year. dozen, I would think. So I don't think it's going to be a, a backbreaker. James? But plus, it's just petty, too. That's the thing that gets me. I mean, they're taking a page out of Microsoft's playbook, and that's what I don't like. I don't know if Steve Jobs would have done this, but, but I'm not sure he would have. I think what they're trying to do strategically is capture, I think, according to the Wall Street Journal, location based ads are now like 25% of all mobile ad spending and growing rapidly. So the market's there. I think this is just a gauche way to go about getting it. Ron, what do you think? I mean, I, to, I, to James' point, this is clearly a shot across the bow of Google. Yeah, well, clearly. And, and to that point, I saw a great Wall Street Journal blog that called this a strategy tax that um, Apple consumers were being forced to pay, which is, is an interesting way to put it. It's not a great move, but it's something that Apple thought was necessary uh, for competitive reasons. I think it'll it'll come out to, to be a mistake, and I think we'll see Google Maps back would, at, at some point. Would you do this if you were head, heading Apple? Or, or are you not above that? I'm not even smart enough to know where this is going <laughs> down the road. But um, listen, I don't think this is a stumbling block in any way. As in the, in, in the, the big picture for Apple, I don't think it has any impact on the stock in any major way. This The phone is going to sell um, very well. And I do think they'll end up having to probably admit a mistake. And we'll see, we'll see Google Maps back at some point. Well, well, I think a more troubling thing is whether they keep up this pattern of putting Apple ahead of putting their own interest ahead of the users. And I think the reason everyone loves Apple is because they've always been user first. But you know, when they put Bing on the phone instead of Google, that's the next step. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, to, Joe, to Ron's point, I, I think that Apple has already m- admitted a mistake because they've already come out and said, this is going to get better. And so that's we, as close as you'll get to an admission. Exactly. So we've seen this once before. With the, there was some iteration of the iPhone uh, several iterations ago, where they had the antenna problems. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, I believe, left his family vacation to come back to oversee the the fix. So I'll just end on this, Joe. What is 
going to be the next step here? Are we going to see Apple backtrack and say, you know what, we're going to reinstall Google Maps or make it easy for people to get that? Or do you think that they're just going to push ahead as is? I think Google Maps will pop up in the App Store sometime soon. But if I was Google, I'd wait a couple months and make Apple sweat it out, keep the bad press coming. <laughs> and then you just swoop in like a savior with your sweet Maps offering. And everyone will be so happy. Microsoft has increased its quarterly dividend by 15%. Uh, James Early, in real terms, we're talking about uh, a dividend that's going from 20 cents a share to 23 cents a share, but still, when it's, you, when it's you all relative. I mean, and now the yield is almost three percent, which is pushing it almost into, into my territory for income investor. Yeah, yeah, for a tech company, Chris, Microsoft has really been coming out of the dividend closet for the past couple of years, and that's been great. Um, although I will say, technically, this is a 15% increase, which is not as high as the 25% we saw last year. Things are, are slowing down, but. You know, the, the point being, they're, they're not squandering the cash, which is the most important thing. Ron, what do you think? Uh, yeah, not surprised to see it slowing down 25 and then 23% the year before. I mean, the, the dividend's only Look been around your since- stats on the top of your, top <laughs> I of your head. I think 2004 is when the dividend was uh, yes. initiated. So, not surprising surprising to see big gains right off the bat and then and then slowing down. But 15% is, is nothing to sneeze at, obviously. Um, we like both Microsoft stock. We like it uh, for appreciation potential. And now we like the dividend as well. James, we also saw McDonald's this week increasing their dividend by 10%. Is this, are we going to be seeing even more of this as, as companies grow, as they get cash on the balance sheet? Is this the, the easiest and best way to make shareholders happy? Right now, it is. There are two factors, Chris. One is that companies do have cash, and they're, and they're scared to hire uh, en masse, so, so they have to do something with that but cash. But multilingual. <laughs> Just today. <laughs> um, the second thing is that with uh, you know, with with uh, bond rates really really low, investors have shown a preference for for yielding stocks. So companies want to get in on that action. McDonald's the stock has done great. They're, they're a little bit of a victim of their own success, but you know they're yielding over three percent now. Also, I think long term that's another winner. Joe, for a long time, Apple was the company that we talked about in terms of not paying a dividend. But when you look at your beloved Google with around fifty billion on the balance sheet, at what point does Google decide? it's time for us to start paying a dividend. We're in that territory where they're going to start getting some more heat. It's going to be tough for them to put that cash to work. This week, Starbucks began selling a single cup machine called the Verismo on its website. Uh, Next month, it'll be available in stores like Williams-Sonoma and Ron. Uh, I know what the market thinks of this move, because Mm. this week, Starbucks shares up about 5%, and Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, with their Keurig machine, down Mm. about 15% this week. What do you think of this? How about Green Mountain down 75% from its 52-week high? yeah, this takes a bite out of him. I did look up. Verismo is the right pronunciation. And interestingly, <laughs> it is an Italian opera usually um, ending with someone's death. Wow. Um, so that perhaps <laughs> Nothing is... Says. I love that every morning. That is apropos to um, the Green Mountain situation. You know, the K-Cup patents went off uh, recently, This within the last month. Yep. Um, Starbucks is going to maintain the relationship with Green Mountain. They still will sell th- those K-Cups. Um, but this this is a shot across the bow in a big way. It, it adds to Green Mountain's problems that they're having with accounting issues, um, a lot of criticism there. Um, it's a bit of a different target market. The um, the Verismo is a, is a high-pressure system for lattes and espressos, but it also makes um, brewed coffee like the Keurig um, does. Uh, so it's a little bit of a higher-end product. It is more expensive, but this is clearly competition. 
Uh, Green Mountain has about 90% of the market share for the, the single cup machine. And Ron, I'm curious what you think about uh, this thing that Howard Schultz, uh, the CEO at Starbucks, said. He told the Wall Street Journal, 75% of Starbucks customers don't own a single cup machine, and he expects to make converts of them with the Verismo. I, I don't know. That seems ambitious to me, only because <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee, but my kitchen is small, and I'm not going to buy one of these things just because I don't have the space for it. I think that's a big number. That's an aggressive number. Um, interesting. I read another stat that said um, Starbucks already controls 25% of the K-cup market, which is really interesting. But you're correct that the machines is where they want to go. They want that razor, razor blade model. Um, to really kick in, and I think it, it will do well. I don't I don't know if if Schultz's pr- prediction will will really come to pass, but I think it's it's a nice area of growth for them. You have a Keurig machine in your house. You I have a Keurig, and you, I like it, but I'm really not picky about really strong coffee. Dunkin' Donuts is fine for me. I don't have to go to Starbucks. Um, maybe so around it works the ho- for me. Maybe around the holidays, something for your wife. A little <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Coming up, did our man Steve Broido single-handedly push one stock to an all-time high this week? <laughs> we will answer the question that all of Wall Street is asking. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Joe Mager, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, Nike said it plans to spend $8 billion buying back its stock. This will start in 2013 when Nike has completed its current $5 billion buyback plan. Joe, I'll start with you. Nike's market cap is around $44 billion. This seems like a lot of money to yeah, commit. Yeah, it's a big bite. Yeah, I mean, Nike has a good problem on its hands. It makes more money than it can reinvest in the business. I'm not wild about this repurchase, though. It just seems like they're pl- trying to put the money to work, but they're buying back stock at 20 times earnings. I think they could probably get a better price, be a little more patient. Uh, and, you know, they'll put that money to work over a period of years, but really I'd rather just see them pay that back out as special dividends sporadically instead of just kind of forcibly repurchasing shares. But buybacks should really be outlawed because nine <laughs> times out of ten, <laughs> wow. they happen at the wow. worst possible wow. time, don't they? You heard it here first. Yeah. Outlawed? Outlawed, Chris, outlawed. Uh, re- all dividends all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless of uh, the buyback program, Joe, when you look at Nike stock, is it is it fairly valued? Is is it a little bit of a value opportunity? Yeah, I'd say fairly. It's a wonderful business that I'd like to own for the long term at the right price, but you know, I think twenty percent cheaper would be more attractive. Real estate listing service Trulia went public this week, and Ron, I think this must be the opposite of Facebook because <laughs> on the opening day, shares went up forty-one percent. Street loves it. Investors are loving it. I mean, Zillow, which is the closest competitor, very similar, has done quite well too. I think it went public. Uh, 20 and now sits at 45. They've already done a secondary offering. Yep. Business models are very similar. Um, there's obviously a need out uh, here for uh, people wanting information about real estate. Um, they're really targeting the realtors who uh, uh, would want to advertise and gain uh, customers uh, through through the online world. Um, my wife's a realtor. I, I, I know many realtors. They're not necessarily necessarily in love with this product. <laughs> Um, they, Darn you, price <laughs> transparency! Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of cris- criticisms about the estimates they come up with, uh, whether it's the Zestimate for Zillow or Trulia's estimate. I checked out my house on both of them. They were within thirty-five thousand dollars of each other, but they were significantly off in general. On a ten million dollar house, it's pretty close too. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, you know, it's still it does provide a lot of great specialized information, and investors certain, certainly are interested in it. Uh, Trulia's not not profitable yet. 
um, but they're growing gangbusters. So people are hoping they grow in grow into that valuation. Grow into that twelve times sales right. valuation. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's only six hundred forty five million dollar market. Oh, it's cap, tiny. But for a company not not profitable, hey, you know. Now you mentioned you checked it out in terms of the estimate for your house. I actually typed my address into Trulia, and what I I didn't focus on the estimate of the value of my home. I focused on the information about my home, which you know, similar to Zillow right. a year ago, not correct. Right now, here this is interesting. So Zillow allows you. To I think, don't have that many bathrooms. Zillow allows you to go on and change it or uh, and and make it more up to date. Um, and Zillow is now suing Trulia because Trulia does the same thing, and Zillow is is citing a patent infringement. So it'll be interesting to see how that patent idea of correcting information. Correct, Co- right? <laughs> exactly. I thought they were suing them. Who would have thought of Whiteout that? is next. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were suing them because Trulia was also using the word zestimate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, guys, the hits just keep on coming for J.C. Penney. CEO Ron Johnson told analysts that J.C. Penney's shops within its stores are doing 20% higher sales than the rest of the stores but that it's, quote, way too early to draw conclusions. Uh, James, I think investors have drawn their own conclusions. Shares of JCPenney down about 10% this week. Chris, I'll draw my own conclusion, too. I mean, this store is done for. I don't care about the store within a store. I mean, there's $888 million in cash, but the last 12 months, the company had a net income of negative $540 million. So this is a bathtub with a pretty big hole in it. You know, they're trying in desperation to change <laughs> their name. with three to, haircuts. To, I guess all bathtubs have holes in them. <laughs> what? That's a weird analogy, right? But with the stopper removed. Okay, Think of it that way. Um, they're trying to go by JCP now. That like it reminds me like 10, 12 years ago, Kmart changed their name to be the Big K. That's how they wanted to be called. And how well did that work for them? Um, I mean, the only way they can really survive is if they just totally destroy the concept and, and do something new, which you know they're not going to do because they're going to try to maintain the the old customer base, which isn't much. Uh, the company plans to transform its stores into a collection of a hundred specialty boutiques. Wow! By twenty fifteen. Is Ron Johnson going to be the CEO in 2015? No. Because it won't be a company in 2015. I wouldn't go that far. This is just a disaster of a store, though, in my view. The, the problem with retailers, retail is a tough business. And you, you got to say to yourself, if, if this company or this store went out of business tomorrow, would people be freaking out? Where's my JCPenney? And I think the answer is no, because there's so many other substitutes. And so poor execution, really not needed, not differentiated, spells trouble. And yet... If they are doing well with these shops within the stores, is is that to the extent that there is a hail mary pass that Ron Johnson can throw, is it simply just doubling down on that and speeding up that process? Is that the path forward? Well, there's no doubt, Chris. Is negatively, there are no doubt monetizable assets within J.C. Penney. There's some brand. There, there's just the, the fact that people come to this facility, uh, and, and so you know maybe there's something they can hive off there. It just won't be the core concept, is my view. Shares of Darden Restaurants hit an all-time high on Friday after reporting better-than-expected quarterly profits. Darden is the parent company of Olive Garden, Red Lobster, Longhorn Steakhouse, and others. Uh, And Joe, Olive Garden is getting the credit here because uh, for the first time in the last six quarters, there was a rise in in comps at Olive Garden. What do you think when you look at this stock? Well, I'm not a big fan of restaurant concepts. It's a very similar dynamic to retail. It's just a bad business over the long term, but they've done very well in each of these niches. You know, you think steak, you think Italian, you think seafood, and each one of their flagship restaurants there is broad enough that people know it and you can go there and get a broad selection of food and you're comfortable with it. So I can see why they've been doing well. You can always drop us an email. Radio at fool.com is the way to email us. We got an email from Dave Beatty in Wildwood, Missouri. Last week, guys, we had talked about McDonald's putting calories 
on the menu. And uh, Dave emailed to say that he thinks that McDonald's gets a little bit of a bad rap there. Uh, And he writes, there are a lot of other places that probably have a lot more calories in the average meal purchased at their respective restaurants. From personal experience, I've put on the most weight when I start eating at Olive Garden and Red Lobster more often. And then he, in parentheses, he writes, sorry, Darden. Uh, So long as I'm being relatively active, I can work off my more frequent than they should be meals at McDonald's, no problem. So what you're saying, a fried chicken breast smothered in cheese over a large bowl of pasta has a lot of calories? Uh, uh, I mean, endless fried shrimp is a bad idea. (laughs) Did I mention (laughs) the bread basket? unbelievable. Matt Greer, our our producer and I, we actually, when we got the email, we, we were checking out the menus at Olive Garden and the calorie content and... I think the number one calorie item at McDonald's has 1,150. That's the big breakfast with hotcakes and biscuits and Olive Garden. Most important meal of the day, Chris. Absolutely. <laughs> biscuits, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, biscuits are a part of any wholesome meal. Uh, Olive Garden just has a whole bunch of items that are 1,400 calories and above. And at this point, we'll bring in our man Steve Brodo because, <laughs> among other things, Steve is the biggest fan of Olive Garden that I think Number we one know. fan. Steve, uh, first, uh, did you help in the last quarter, in the last three months, were you part of same-store sales for Olive Garden going up? Unfortunately, I was not. I have not eaten there recently. We have a small child uh, who is is not yet a fan of the OG. Uh, (laughs) He will be be as he ages. Are you doing Thanksgiving there? Uh, no, we are. I wish we were. Do you have any kind of buyer's club type card from there? <laughs> I don't. I should get a T-shirt made or something. And what is your favorite go-to dish there? Chicken parm all the time. That's, that's mm. the endless salad. It just doesn't get much better than that. Do you have a rebuttal for Dave Beatty in Wildwood, Missouri, who's who's basically saying, "Look, don't pick on McDonald's. Look at Olive Garden." I, I can't really rebut it. There's there is. Uh, it's terrible for you. I mean, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. It's just terrible for you. But it's just it's delicious. And my favorite part, I always tell my wife, is the the chairs with the wheels on them. It just makes getting around the Olive Garden <laughs> that much more enjoyable. Wait a minute. They're, they're it's wheels. been a long time since I've been to an Olive Garden. They've, re, they've remodeled recently, and they removed the wheels. But for years, there were, that was the... Uh, the so you, where do you wheel around? Like, you wheel the bathroom? You wheel... Wheel around <laughs> and see your neighbors, talk to your friends. It's just terrific. It's family style. Absolutely. I was going to say, because whenever I see the commercials on TV, that's the big... To Joe's point, the family style. That's the big thing they're pushing. It's a, you know, come have a big family meal... It's all about, you know, when you come to Olive Garden, your family, and and, and now what, what I'm hearing from Steve is... We offer wheelchairs. We, one, we offered wheelchairs, because what says safety more than that? Yeah. And two, uh, we don't go there because we have a child. What, uh, do they not have, like, do they not have chairs for your boy? They do have chairs for him, but he's just, I think he's a little too young to fully appreciate the, uh, the menu. Oh, the the endless breadsticks. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Joe Mager, Ron Gross, James Early, we will see you a little bit later in the show. La, 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 la. Circle your calendar because September 25th is Worldwide Invest Better Day. You can learn more at investbetterday.com. But coming up, we will tell you what's in store on September 25th and how you can be a part of it. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. The stock market is at a four-year high, but investor confidence is at its second lowest point in the past five years. So to help, The Motley Fool has set Tuesday, September 25th as Worldwide Invest Better Day. And here to talk about some of what's in store is Andy Cross, Chief Investment Officer here at The Motley Fool. Andy, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, four-year 
high. Four-year high, Crazy. and investor confidence yeah. still not nearly where it probably should be. Yeah. Invest better. I should point out, we have a free website we've set up, investbetterday.com. We're going to have programming all day on the 25th. We're going to have speakers, roundtables. There are going to be meetups across America. Uh, but let's talk about some of the key themes that are going to be hit on Invest Better Day. Um, and one of them is the whole notion that, as an investor, you really have to focus on the business. Yeah. And not the ticker. Well, and we've talked about this so many times at The Motley Fool, and you've talked about it so many times on the radio show. I mean, one of the things, you you pointed out this stat about investor confidence, and investor confidence is at a low, and part of that is because they've lacked the insight on how to invest, and many have been burned not just by investing poorly and making poor investing decisions, but also their housing and the financial crisis and jobs. So there is all those legitimate concerns. But really with Worldwide Invest Better Day and what we've done for so many years at The Fool is really help people understand that investing is best when it's most business-like. And when you're thinking about your stocks, not as pieces of paper or baseball cards that you're trading right. in and out of, but they're actual real parts of real businesses that generate real cash flows that the management team can use and deploy back into the businesses or back to shareholders, and that helps the stock appreciate in value. And over the long term, that's really what you're trying to do as an investor. Well, and a lot of times, some of the best stocks, you know, it's 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 and you and I have talked about this before, it's the sort of thing where a lot of times people think, well, there's got to be a tip, there's got to be a secret unknown company. Most of the time, you look at the great investments, they're really the great companies that whose names you know, and probably their services you use. Companies like Costco, yep. Amazon, Google, that yeah, sort of thing. Starbucks. I mean, one way I love to think about investing is, and, and David Gardner, the, uh, the co-founder of The Motley Fool, and the, the advisor at Stock Advisor, along with his brother Tom, has done this for so many years. And it's really thinking about businesses that you use, and if those businesses vanished, how would you react? And right. if Starbucks vanished, Chris, you and I, I think- I'd be in a catatonic We'd be stupor. Done. Yeah. So, like thinking about like businesses and stocks as your investing or, or your investing approach from a business perspective, and those products that you use um, and that you appreciate. That's really the best way to start investing. Whether you're a new investor or whether you're even an experienced investor, like I still think a lot of your portfolio should be. You should think about investing in businesses for the long term. Uh, speaking of the long term, uh, holding period yep. is another one of the themes we're going to be hitting on Worldwide Invest Better Day because it's easy to get caught up in the action. And certainly, you watch CNBC, uh, there's a lot of action on the floor and that sort of thing. But really, when you're talking a holding period for a stock, investors really should be looking out three to five years at least. Absolutely. And unfortunately, they don't. They, investors, as we know, and studies show that we trade way too much. Individual investors trade way too much. Professional mutual fund managers, actively managed mutual funds, trade way too much, turn their portfolio over right. more than 100% a year. Um, and that's just very detrimental to your portfolio because not only is it, um, I mean, the stress level of trying to trade that much and determine what that hot stock tip is and when you should get in and out rather than buy in the business, but the commissions and the taxes just eat into your I was your just going to say, the taxes alone. Yeah, just... and they just eat into your return. So, if you're turning your portfolio portfolio over and you're invest, you're buying tickers rather than buying stocks of businesses, that just it doesn't do you any good to think about it that way. And your holding period, I mean, at Stock Advisor, our flagship service, we've held these stocks. The turnover in our portfolio is very low, and the returns have been outstanding for so many years. In fact, Holbert Financial Digest just put out a, its results of uh, inve- looking at the returns of newsletter 
stock investing newsletters over the last five years, and Stock Advisor is one of the top 10. And really there, we're trying to invest in great businesses and hold for the long term. So every investor out there, um, really think about your holding, ter- your holding period and try to increase that. Um, another theme we're going to be hitting on Worldwide Investor Better Day is the whole sense of community. Yep. Because for so long in America, investors were just in the dark. Yep. There was a serious lack of information. The internet obviously helps a great deal with that. And I feel like we've taken that one step further with just sort of online community, online support, and and what an asset that can be. Yeah, and it really is, Chris. I think here at the Motley Fool Community First, uh, we've long been advocates of of um, using the community and uh, joining the community to both help other investors, but also help yourselves and learn. I mean, investing has always historically been a one to one relationship. It's been you and a financial planner, you and a broker, um, you and that person who gave you that hot stock tip. Right. With the community and with the access that we have in this day and age with the internet and with forums like The Motley Fool, um, you have the opportunity to ask questions that you never had the chance to, to learn things you never had the chance to, and to get that support, both actually learn something, but also emotional support, which is very important when you're talking about your money. So communities like we have at The Motley Fool are very valuable, and um, I really encourage everyone to embrace that. Uh, Speaking of communities, I should mention, in addition to the online meetup at investbetterday.com. We're going to have actual meetups, not only across America, but around the world, uh, in London, in Singapore, in Sydney, Australia. Are you here, by the way, on the 25th, or are we sending you somewhere? Yeah, no, I, no, I am here. I love our <laughs> office, although I've never been to Singapore, and um, you know, I almost tried to sign up for the visit out to the uh, to, to that part of the, of the world. But no, I will be here with Tom and David, and we will be hosting a day-long um, event uh, of... Um, of investing, um, information, stock ideas, education, and really trying to help um, everyone understand some of these timeless, foolish principles that we believe in and we think can, you can use, uh, investors out there can use for their uh, for their portfolios. A lot of great programming all day long. Investbetterday.com. That's Tuesday, September 25th. Andy Cross, Chief Investment Officer here at The Motley Fool. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. There is so much going on around the world, and here to help us make sense of it all is one of our international experts joining me in studio now, Tim Hansen, Senior Analyst at Motley Fool Asset Management. Thanks for being here, man. Always a pleasure, Chris. Uh, um, want to go sort of big picture here, and let's just start with Europe. And what what are you thinking now when you look at Europe? Is the situation better? Is Is the damage in Greece contained? What do you think when you look as an investor at Europe? Well, there's certainly some optimism about Europe right now because of the banking union that they've proposed and sort of the expanded financial stability mechanism that has gone along with it, which is basically to say that if all these banks in Europe and all these countries agree to give up sovereignty for for wider regulation, the European Central Bank will give them an unlimited spigot of money. So that's that's a that's generally speaking being regarded as a good thing, but you know at the same time the real sort of tangible details continue to be really treacherous. Um, unemployment in Spain right now is at an all-time high of 25%. It's going up, not down. I mean, it shows no signs of abating. And just sort of in, in, in a funny anecdotal example, Coca-Cola Hellenic, the Greek-based, uh, Greece-based sure. bottler of Coke beverages, was up 5% on Thursday um, when it made the rumor started getting around they were just going to move their main listing out of Greece. So we're just <laughs> so going ba- to go from Athens to London. And they've hived off their Greek subsidiary, so it is now just a subsidiary, and it's not you know the Greek bottlers. No, they basically have made themselves supernatural. So just the fact that we're getting out of Greece is enough to send the stock up five percent. 
Correct. So that 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 would not uh, point towards the optimism. So you know, people say they're optimistic about the bailout funds and the uh, uh, central banking regulations, but then you know, what does the money do? When when Coca Cola says they want to become more of a supranational company based in London, with their main listing in London, taking out that currency risk and yep. the Greek stigma, you know, the stock is up five percent and and would arguably go higher if they actually make the move. Where do you come down now on the euro? This is something that over the past, I would say, five years or so, you've you've gone in different directions in terms of believing the euro as a currency is absolutely going away. It's just a matter of time to thinking, ah, you know, like when I remember when you came back from Greece and you're like, boy, the 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 political entrenchment is such over there that it, it's probably going to stick around. Well, Where, that's right. I don't think my position has been inconsistent, despite my waffling. It's just you know, I think I wasn't trying to indicate <laughs> you were waffling, but my uh, I I would just say you know the the merits of the currency on its own would point to the fact that it, it would go away just because maintaining this currency union seems unwieldy and impossible. The flip side of that is that the people who have put the currency union in place seem completely committed toward maintaining it. And so it's sort of a you know push me, pull you type situation. Where that shakes out ultimately is that I think I think politics for the time being, can defeat reality, as we have seen for, sure. in many examples over history. Uh, so I think that's probably going to happen. But if you look out maybe 10 to 20 years, I think you'll find it, it has to be a mod, some sort of modification in the situation in terms of either Europe's really going to come a lot closer together and it's going to look more like the United States, or the euro will maintain some of its common traits. But They'll give some flexibility to the southern countries to have a weaker currency or, you know, just the, the flexibility that needs to happen to manage these different economies. So I, I don't know what the solution they're going to come to is. I think the right solution would be to go back to different currencies. I think the political solution is going to stick or the political idea is to stick with what they have. Let's move over to China. And we've seen signs recently of a slowdown in China. And, I, and as we've talked about before, when numbers are coming out from the Chinese government, they need to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, with that in mind, though, when you look at China, what are some of the numbers that you're watching most closely? I think I think you know government published numbers need to be taken with a grain of salt anywhere. You know, obviously, even in the states with job numbers, there's and revisions re- and seasonality, revisions every couple of months, and <laughs> exactly. So, so what I like to focus on anywhere, and particularly in China, because the problem is more egregious there than 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 elsewhere. I, I don't mean to sort of make everything too relativistic, but uh, things that can be sort of counted rather than estimated. So examples of that would be um, electricity consumption. Um, Another example of that would be the tonnage of freight that's being reported being shipped on some of the publicly listed railroads. So we're watching those very closely. Um, Another good example that was given um, this past uh, week in earnings was FedEx's package counts way down. You know, yep. China is definitely all indicators point to the fact that China is producing and exporting less. And that's obviously going to be a big drag on their economy. I don't know what that means for GDP, you know, where it falls on the spectrum from five to 10. Frankly, I don't really care. You, you really just need to be more focused on the directionality of it. And, and I think it's headed in the downward direction. And, and China is going to go through some volatility and some tough times in the near term. Is there a ripple effect for U.S. businesses, either positive or negative? That- well, it's hard to see who would benefit dramatically from this in the near term besides sort of the people who are, are shorting China or people who would benefit from some declines in commodity prices. And, and there are certainly companies like that, you know, restaurants, um, farmers would obviously like to see um, uh, corn prices go down, truck drivers would like to see oil prices go down. So, so that could be sort of an ancillary benefit 
In the medium term, though, I think the winners are the consumer goods companies. Um, and the reason I say that is because if China goes through a, an economic stress at present because their export sector starts getting really, really weak, I think that turns up the pressure on the government to really do more to stimulate the consumer sector in China, which is what they've said they want to do to sort of transition the economy to be a more balanced economy. And so if, to the extent that they get more pressure to do that, they put in measures to make that happen. And I think consumer goods companies, um, both domestic Chinese and multinationals importing into China, do well as a result of that increased consumer spending. Last question on investing. When you cast your wide net and look around the world, is there a particular region or country um, that you're watching with sort of a greater sense of interest? Well, there was a really fascinating article in the Wall Street Journal um, not too long ago about how you know Walmart recently got approved to acquire MassMart, which is a South African um, big box retailer. And there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about all the suppliers to MassMart who are now being introduced in, into sort of the Walmart way, which is you know really hyper-focused logistics, high inventory turns, that sort of thing. And so it was, it was an article about how these companies are all um, ad- adapting to better serve Walmart. And I thought that was really interesting because obviously Walmart has now taken a foothold in South Africa and they're going to push north, most likely into the, you know, um, up towards Nigeria, you know, through, through the rest of those countries in Sub Saharan Africa where a lot of people live. And, and generally speaking, those people are quite poor per capita today. But it, to the extent that you can look around the world for an exciting market with a lot of people that hasn't really been served by um, modern business, that that's it. And so I, I, I I'm intrigued to see, you know, how some of these South African companies, um, Clover Dairies is an example of one. You know, can they become, in the to the extent that they can serve Walmart better, they are likely to become way more efficient companies. And you know, so you're thinking about higher returns on invested capital, potentially higher profit margins, um, and then in this very big market. So you're also looking at potentially higher growth as Walmart store expansion helps them expand their distribution. So that's sort of a part of the world. And a, and a universe of companies that's gotten my interest recently. Uh, last question. Uh, the last time you were on the show, you and your wife just had one child. Now you have two children. We're multiplying. You, <laughs> you have to. What biggest difference for you? Oh boy. Um, got. I would say the amount of planning now that goes into like mobilizing to do something. You know, because you, you need to make sure you've got all the stuff yep. for the two-year-old. So that's a snack, milk. Uh, you know, a change of clothes, his diaper bag. And then for the infant, it's like, all right, well, we need the car seat and the this and the that and the double stroller. And, the, you know, and, and so all of a sudden, you you know, for a, a, a trip to the farmer's market or what have you, I mean, you've got to take the car because we've got so much darn stuff to carry around. You have a heightened appreciation for people who excel at logistics planning? Well, yeah, I could use my own. I need UPS to come manage my children. <laughs> Tim Hansen from Motley Fool Asset Management. For more information, you can go to foolfunds.com. Tim, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio once again, Joe Mager, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, time for the stocks on our radar. We'll bring in our man Steve Broido from the other side of the glass, assuming he hasn't dashed off to Olive Garden. Uh, and I should point out that also joining Steve on the other side of the glass this week, a longtime listener, Hans Schubert, Woo-hoo! and his Woo! dad, Lee, celebrating his 50th Happy birthday. birthday. So Happy birthday. We will spare uh, Lee and we will spare all of our listeners by not actually singing Happy Birthday. Uh, but we'll bring Steve in with a question for each one of you. Ron Gross. 
Carlos, you're up first. What's your stock this I week? I am going to circle back around to Starbucks, S-B-U-X. The stock is off from its highs, mostly out of economic concerns and some rising commodity costs. But they're diversifying their revenue streams, whether it's Via or Evolution Juices, the new Verismo. I think they've got plenty of international growth ahead of them. Stock doesn't look cheap on the face of it, so I, I need to dig in there because uh, 15 times cash flow doesn't scream cheap to me. But I think they've got some nice growth ahead of them. You know what would help is if you bought your wife one of those new Verismo. <laughs> yeah, three or four of them. Uh, Ron, does this ever leave your radar? <laughs> no. Well, it's a great company. And they, they, when the stock pulls back, that's when I get interested again. Steve, question for Ron? What does the future look like for tea for Starbucks? I've heard that uh, tea is a big opportunity for them. I think tea is definitely, obviously, the, uh, a big trend, as are lo- uh, cake pops, by the way. You might want to try those. But I think <laughs> what uh, is it? cake pops, have you seen those cakes I've on the stick? I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah, they're big at Starbucks huh. now. Um, I think tea definitely has a place um, going forward. Um, not, you know, There's standalone retail stores that do tea, but I think Starbucks, uh, definitely, that's one of the areas they'll, they'll go in. James, your stock this Chris, week? Chris, I'm going for an 11% yield in a company called Newcastle Investment Corporation. The ticker is NCT. This is a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Uh, typically buys uh, various mortgage or, or real estate securities and, and mortgage debt. It's actually a five-star stock in our Motley Fool Caps database. It is up 73% year-to-date, which helps me a lot because I bought this for my wife's IRA a couple of years ago <laughs> and watched it go almost down to nothing. And, and now it's, it's actually back on the upswing. Congratulations. Steve, question for James? Uh, Can you just explain to me how REITs work? That's a long question, Steve. Um, (laughs) We don't have that kind of time. (laughs) uh, They typically hold real estate or real estate-related securities. They don't pay income taxes. Uh, That means your dividend is fully taxable, so you want to hold it in an IRA or some kind of tax-deferred account. Um, Typically, they're they're given the structure to encourage investment in our U.S. uh, real estate uh, infrastructure, just in general. No breadsticks. No, yeah, yeah. no bread, no chicken Alfredo when you're talking REITs. Joe Mager, your stock this week? International Speedway. They own and promote some of the biggest races and tracks in NASCAR. So Daytona, Talladega, Kansas Motor Speedway. Uh, NASCAR attendance and TV ratings have plummeted over the last five years. But there's a saving grace here, which is that there's been a big boom in what networks are willing to pay for TV rights for live sports events. And there's a big renegotiation <clears throat> coming up with NASCAR this coming year. I think International Speedway is going to do very well coming off that. Steve? What's the biggest future opportunity for them? Is it merchandising? Is it, uh, it sounds like the TV rights are a huge deal. Is it sales at the events? The real big dollar ticket is the TV rights. It's very high margin. And the ticker symbol? I-S-C-A. Are you a NASCAR fan, Joe? (laughs) No, no, not really. Okay. (laughs) Steve, you heard three stocks. You got one you're particularly curious about? I don't know. That dividend sounds very, very appealing. So (laughs) I may have to go with Mr. Newcastle over there. (laughs) All right, Joe Meager, James Hurley, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to our guests this week, Tim Hansen and Andy Cross. As I mentioned, Worldwide Invest Better Day, September 25th. Circle your calendars, and there's more information to be found at investbetterday.com. Check it out, investbetterday.com. That is it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 